everybody, welcome back to 14 Teenage Girls. My name's Bee Highland. I'll be serving as your host on this wonderful journey. This is, as you probably know by now, a podcast about youth. This week I'll be talking to Phoenix. They're the creator of the wonderful audio drama Inkworm, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, we're going to be talking about audio drama, obviously, but we're also going to be talking about film, specifically uh, Del Toro's work. We're going to be talking about retail hell, and it's going to be fun. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, thank you so much. Enjoy. There we go. Let's start. Cool. Okay, so let's get this started. Um, so let's start off. Introduce yourself. Uh, okay. Hi, I'm Phoenix Tior. Um, I run the podcast Inkworm um, on iTunes, and I'm 16. Nice, nice. Um, so cool. Phoenix, what do you want to talk about today? Um, let's see. Oh, um, I just made an incredible cinematographic, if that's even a word, discovery about Pacific Rim. May I share that? Of course. I love that movie so much. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Okay. Okay, so Pacific Rim Uprising was like a 6 out of 10. I mean, it did what it needed to do, which obviously is set up the Newton-Herman rom-com sequel. Of course, yes. Okay, but... There's this one scene where, you know, the whole using a camera to tell a story is just brilliant. So, and major spoilers, but if you haven't seen that movie, why are you listening to this? Exactly. Go see Pacific Rim Uprising before you listen to, to this show, because it's very important for all future context, if anything, I'll ever say forever. <laughs> oh, big mood. Okay, so the one scene where Newt reveals he's possessed by the precursors. Everything is shot at a straight, wide angle. It's very up and down, back and forth. Everything is framed in a 90 degree. But then, after the big reveal happens, we cut to robots fighting or something or other, and then we cut back, and everything is at a Dutch angle a little bit, but it's tilted. And that's because, obviously, you know, Herman's perception of Newt has been tilted off its axis. The guy that he's not really known for 10 years is suddenly being controlled by these creatures. But if we notice, it's not just Newt being filmed that's tilted, it's also Herman. So you gotta wonder, okay, what about Newt's perspective is twisted, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, The whole so, world just changing. yeah. Um, so it's Cinematography 101. You use the camera to frame how the other characters perceive each other. So then you realize, oh my gosh, it's because the precursor's perception has changed as well. The whole reason that they kept Herman apart from Newt for so long is because they knew that, I mean, Herman knows Newt better than anybody. If he had been around him for, gosh, even a day, he would have figured out something is wrong probably due to the whole hey newt do you want to make 
kaiju blood explode and Newt not immediately saying fuck yeah would have set off a couple of alarm bells. (laughs) Okay, so it's tilted because now their plan has gone off the rails. They know the second that Herman figures this out is that if they don't get Mount Fuji blown up pretty much immediately, they're doomed. And I just love that little detail about like an otherwise kind of okay movie, but mm, you can just really tell who the story was focusing on. It's so, so good. Yeah. Like it genuinely, I enjoyed a lot of that film, despite it's like very obvious flaws. And a lot of it was because of the Newton Herman dynamic, which was like a big, like major point along with, along with, of course, the, um, the big monster parts of the first one. Like, I I genuinely think that they're, like, sort of the standouts of those films, even though, like, I hate to, like, sort of, like, say, yeah, these two white dudes are, like, the best parts of these movies. Yeah. But they they are. (laughs) And that's... They are. You could... I mean, it's a bunch of nerds writing about jocks. You can clearly tell who's going to get the most, you know, the most time and the most care, because unfortunately that's how Hollywood works. But nerds writing nerds is either create some of the best cinema or we get Fight Club. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair burn on Fight Club. Um, yeah. Um, but like cinematography is so in general interesting to me. And I really like I love moments like that where you can see like the clear effort put into it. Oh um, my God. Like, do you have any other like cinnamon topographic? The best one. Okay, so Guillermo what, the, Del what Toro, are the best I can ones? Never pronounce his name yes. right because I suck at names, which is hilarious considering my last name. Um, but there's he has a lot of biblical imagery. Yeah. I mean, okay, so when he was in a bunch of the extras, he's like, "I want you to make this operatic. I want you to like really um, induce the colors and stuff like that." But there's this one shot in the first movie where Stacker is coming out of his Jaeger when he's rescuing Mako. And you can see the very obvious religious symbolism with the, like, the bright light shown around him and the camera tilted so we're looking up at him, not just from Mako's perspective, but also from the perspective of seeing him as an almost biblical hero. And this really helps us get into the idea of Mako's character because For most of the movie, we really don't understand why she's being so submissive to him, not just because he's her boss, but we realize now that she doesn't just see him as a father, but she practically idolizes him in almost a Jesus-like way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, it, and I like the sort of portrayal of him as a a messianic figure, mostly because Idris Elba is such a, like, great actor and sort of deserves that treatment in my humble opinion but also like it's such a like a beautiful way to frame a hero worship relationship I guess I was I wasn't raised super religiously but like that imagery is so so clear in in the film and I don't know I love I love film a lot like I'm I'm oh my gosh it's so good yeah like I'm intending to major in it I guess and like the um dude me too nice nice same I think I think we're both like starting that process right now right that same hat same hat same hat um same hat the biggest the biggest possible hat oh god and we both write audio dramas too my hook is gone no not my hook (laughs) oh 
Uh, don't worry. I'm pretty sure you've never almost been arrested before. Oh, oh, but I, I've been kicked off of a community college campus like eight times. So what? <laughs> no, I used to like register voters for, for an old job I had. And it's technically solicitation. And when you try and argue with that, see, campus police don't like you very much. So. Wow. Yeah. One time when I was 15. Uh, and I barely had my learner's permit. I drove the car to Dunkin' Donuts, got a full dozen box, drove back, and the only reason I got caught was because I didn't tilt the windows back. No, no, no. Film schools are just going to see all of these, like, okay, podcast makers who go to traffic court. There's nothing, there's nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) It's a new new subject. First we had, um... White nerds who want to be like Mark Zuckerberg. And now we've got this subsection. This this two people applying to various film schools trying to who love Guillermo del Toro and just like make podcasts and get kicked out of places. What else? What else can we do? Can, can we take one? Can we take both? Can we take none? God, I love you, being you should. alive. And then we and then we could make um, a film together. Um what 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 film could we make together? Let's let's bring Social that. Network too, but it's about audio drama. Yes. And yes. Zach Valenti plays everybody. Exactly. Exactly. It's just him in a series of increasingly disheveled wigs. Oh my god. <laughs> no, I don't That's beautiful. Lauren Shippen can have a cameo. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, working him with him was crazy crazy amazing yeah oh my god i envy you dude he he just he seems like such a chill guy oh my gosh he's so chill well 359 was the audio drama that like got me all the friends that i have so it was kind of incredible to like okay so he he emails me this stuff and i spend a good five minutes just running around my room freaking out because oh my gosh Yes. No, I've, still I've a little definitely bit starstruck that I got to do that. It was so crazy. Okay, so like I never really knew how like much work you have to put into an audio drama bef- until I started making an audio drama. It's so crazy. Exactly. And the coordination yeah. because like when Inkworm started out, everybody except Anisha lived here in um Cincinnati with us. So it was like, okay, we'll just get everybody in the room together and then we'll go through the recording and then I'll call Anisha on Saturday and we'll get that done. But now, like, Quinn is in Chicago and Anisha is all the way in D.C. And, um... Yeah, yeah. No, for Violet Beach, like, we're all recording pretty isolated with the exception of um, Teresa, who voices Teresa, just because, like, that's the only person I knew super well before we started doing this. So I'm in a very, like, distinctly different situation. But, like, it's so much effort and coordination that I did not expect it all going in. Oh, my gosh, I know. And you have to – and syncing up audio is hard. I know. We're just starting dialogue with Violet Beach. I'm – really worried about like this next season it gets worse i mean you you think you think two people is hard try having four different people with varying degrees of direction 
all talking at around the same time. And then you have to get to the parts where everyone is yelling at each other. So you have to overlap. Yeah. Yeah. Like with screenwriting, I can do that with recording and directing people. No, no, that's not a thing that I don't want to have to think about that ever again. Oh, my gosh. But I do. So, okay, if you've watched Pacific Rim, you've probably seen at least a little bit of It's Always Sunny, right? Of course. Look, look, I'm, I'm only human, and I bleed when I fall down, and I watch Always Sunny when I'm sad. All of that, it's sometimes improv. It's not even scripted. So I just oh can't God. imagine editing that all together, because they record audio and sound separately. That's how you get, like, clear sound with a sound boom. Yeah, definitely. That it just seems stressful. Like I want to make TV, and then I and then I watch TV, and I get immediately stressed out. Oh my gosh! And I love the good place. Yes. And like some of the crazy special effects they've had are really something. Yeah, definitely. The Good Place is absolutely my favorite TV show right now. It's like I was watching the season one finale live, and it was like the moment I realized, oh, I want to write movies. I want to write TV. This is what this is what I want to do with my life, right? Which is like a fairly recent discovery in that situation. But like, um, you know, like it just the way that they execute everything so well and oh my god the special effects and the dialogue and everything just piling and up and Tahani's dresses the costume design in that show kills me dead oh my god oh my gosh because like everybody has their very specific costuming like for Jason you've got typical Florida man stuff for Chidi you've got his stuff for Eleanor you've got her stuff and for Tahani Oh my gosh, if that show does not win an Emmy for Tahani's dresses alone, I will cry. Do you think the Emmys would award anything that's not Modern Family for comedy? Oh god. I'm so sick of that. Sorry, I am very bitter about The Good Place. It wasn't even nominated last year. It wasn't nominated. I know, I'm so mad. I get mad about the Emmys every year, but last year I was madder than I'd ever been before. God. It's a good, good show. And I, it, it is. And like, look, Sonny should have won an Emmy specifically for the gang desperately tries to win an award. This is true. that would have been so beautiful. No, um, one of the writers for The Good Place is going for a very um, similar, like very similar to the gang tries to win an award. Um, uh, she made a web series called An Emmy for Megan, which is just about her trying to get an Emmy and matching all the... Um, all the criteria for web series. That's amazing. It, I would absolutely recommend it because it made me laugh more than anything. And in the end, uh, Darcy Carden, who plays Janet, comes in and kills her. It is a... <laughs> it is a delight. I wish Darcy would kill me. I know. She's in this new HBO show, too, called um, Barry. And it's, like, it's an excellent show. And she makes it for me. Even though her role is so minor, it's delightful. I, I'm in love with her. But... This web series, like, I'm so into these, like, meta trying to get an award things, which feel, like, they always, like, in concept feel kind of cloying, but when they're executed well, like, the gang desperately tries to win an award or an Emmy for Megan, like... No, but, like, it's such a good episode, too, because you you have the metaphor, but then you also have, like, they even go for best soundtrack, and Charlie Day accidentally writes a really iconic song. Exactly. It's just, it's a good, it's a, 
I always want to hate these like meta devices and then they pull it out. Like they pull out all the stops in these meta episodes, like these holy meta episodes and they're delightful. Like, oh my God. They even have the Carly Rae Jepsen playing in the bar. Oh my God. God. I, I need to rewatch that episode sometime soon because it's been maybe a year or so since I've last seen it, but it is so good. And I love how, like, they accidentally work in this little bit of heartwarming stuff. Like, when Charlie is high and singing, um, whatever the song is called, I don't know. Um, but he just starts, he, when he starts spitting on the crowd, the gang is like, oh, oh, we're spitting? Okay, we're spitting. Because, like, you know, they are kind of a family in their own weird, terrible way. And they do kind of fit into that sitcom niche. Yeah, like... I'm all about that heartwarming comedy and Always Sunny and like 30 Rock are my two sort of escapes from when I'm sick of all the corny, happy, found family stuff, which is. And then we can get found gang. And then we get found gang. And I, I it's just like I'm not really expecting it. And then my heart's warm and then I'm ready to like be happy again. OK, so I was just reading this one Pacific Rim fan fiction. Oh, my God. Phantom of the Opera. But the whole time, I'm just imagining Newt being like, here is my fancy opera that I've spent 20 years writing. Oh, my God. Um, there's a spider. <laughs> oh, my God. Fan fiction is beautiful in general. I'm writing a post-uprising fic, and, like, I've planned out 28 chapters, and I just finished eight of them. And I never realized how hard it is to actually write books until now. Because scripting is easy. You don't have to, like, use flowery language <clears throat> designations <clears throat> and other stuff. You can just, like, be, uh, Mela walks to the bar. She is sad. And I, then I can just direct Anisha. But nope, you've just got to be, like... These are the five million different feelings that person A is feeling at this moment, described in excruciating detail and with Terry Pratchett-esque metaphors. Oh, my God. I um, I used to do a lot more, before I got into script writing, I used to do a lot more literary writing, and it's such a, like an interesting transition, mostly because like I... I used to like avoid being sort of more comedic in my um, in like my prose. But then when you're writing um, when you're writing like stage directions and what have you, it like goes on to like, yeah, I'm just going to say um, he he's saying this with a tone of like fuck off or some or whatever. Like he I can I can use swears basically is what what I've come yeah. to. Um, but like, it's such like a distinctly different process between writing like very emotional prose and then writing scripts. And like, that is so fascinating to me. Like I recently tried to adapt some, um, non TV, um, stuff into a TV episode, um, for a fic. And it was so like, it was, it was extremely difficult and the format got completely eaten up online, but it was like, it was a worth it process in my opinion like it was really genuinely very interesting and fun to do but it's like such a distinctly different thing and I think that's sort of like yeah beauty of fan fiction ultimately that it like can transform something entirely yeah like so I put the Incorm scripts up with every episode not only for like so people can read along if they have auditory processing issues but also because I have some really funny stage directions and I want people to appreciate that yeah 
Like I ha- I've only read a few of the Inkworm scripts, but they are genuinely very funny. They like I have laughed Thank out you. loud reading them. Yeah. Like I'm a I'm a big old comedy nerd, as you as you may know. <laughs> and um Oh yeah. It's just it's so wonderful for me to like see all this funny stuff going down, you know? Like it's it's just like I love stage directions a lot. Like we were reading Streetcar Named Desire in an English class, and I was always insisting, like, no, I'll I'll read the stage directions. Let me do this. This is what I do. Is that your white Karen voice? It is. It is. It's like my. Oh my gosh. I use it on customers sometimes, like when I'm imitating customers. Me more too. Often. I know. Like no, like to imitate a customer is so like. It always has to be the white Karen voice, like, well, my daughter, my daughter doesn't oh, like Tigo coffee. has this one white woman voice that he, I had him do for the spa episode when we had, like, three different weird voices. Okay, he did three voices. He did um, his impression of Anson My Eyes Johnson from Rick and Morty. Oh, my God. He did his white woman voice. And then he did a very weird New York accent. God. But uh, I work um, part-time as a waitress at a local pizza chain. And, oh my gosh. Okay, I'm probably spoiling my future comedy set, but I doubt anyone lives here. So can I, can I tell you some interesting stories from my job? Of course. I will tell you some from mine in exchange because I got some. Okay. So there's this one party of like 20 that comes in and I'm waiting on them, right? And this one lady says, oh, can I please have some lemon? And I'm like, oh, sure. So I go to the back, I get her a lemon slice and I bring it out on a plate. And she's like, oh no, a lemon. And I'm like, excuse me? And she's like, no, no, no. Can I have like more lemon? And I'm like, okay. So I go back, I get her a couple lemon slices. I bring it out on a plate. And she's like, no, sweetie, I want a lemon. So I go back and I'm like, hey guys, can we give a customer a whole lemon? And they're like, no, I'm pretty sure we can't. So I go back to her and she's like, okay, can I have half a lemon? And I'm like, ma'am, I can only give you slices. I can't give you a lemon. And she's like, okay, fine. Can I have just a bunch of lemon slices? She's got like, does she, I don't know, 10 different she, lemon slices are, on her plate. What are you gonna. So I go back, I get like a scoop, and I mean like one of the big scoops of lemon. I put it on her place, plate in a little lemon tower, and I bring it out, and she's like, oh, that's fine. Thank you. She gives me a $1 tip. God. I know it's rude, but also that's kind of iconic. I, my tip environment is a little like more relaxed than like a restaurant because it's a coffee shop. So I, I work in the, in a drive-through coffee shop, which is always a very fun place to work. Have you ever worked in a drive-through before? Thank God. No. Yeah. Don't do it ever. It's terrible because people are very bad. People are just mean is the thing. Like, in drive throughs like, they don't see you at first, so they think they have some kind of power over the robot they assume they're talking to. But that sort of assumed power continues when they come up to the, um, when they come up to the window and see your face. So this woman asks if she can sample a, um, a, an espresso drink for her daughter. 
because um, her daughter doesn't know if she likes coffee or not, I guess, which is kind of silly, I guess, ultimately. Um, But um, and I say, actually, we can't do that. We can make you this drink. We can, um, you know, we can we can give it to you and make you something else. We can make you something else if you don't like it, but you'll have to pay for we have to pay for both. So, um, um, so we make her this drink and her daughter, she hands it to her daughter and her daughter's like, oh, it's, it's pretty good. I like it a lot. And, um, her mom says, so do you love it though? And she's like, I I don't love it, but I like it. And she grabs this drink out of her daughter's hand and tries to throw it at me. Luckily it's a cold drink. So it's like, it's not going to burn me or anything. No, but like she tries to throw it at me and I, I like she, it doesn't, um, it doesn't hit. Thank God. Um, and we start making her another drink and she just drives away in a huff after making us make her two extra drinks with before she pays and just like goes away. And like, imagine that kind of entitlement. I'm, I'm just, I'm always so blown away at the way people treat young people working in service it's so stupid like is it does it matter that much to you i think at this point they're so i don't know being called out on their bullshit they have to just take whoever they can get exactly like i my big proposal that i i did in a stand-up set one time was um like a drive-through where you can just go and yell at people and you have to pay to do it you have to pay to do it and like um like homophobic slurs those those get a premium etc um like those cost extra but like you can get you can get like oh can i tell you to smile on the fly or whatever it's it's silly but it's very fun it's a very fun idea and i would love to participate if um if it opens but also like i don't want to do that in my job that i'm currently doing because in my job that i'm currently doing i'm just trying to be nice to people like the dick's last resort of drive-thrus you know that honestly sounds amazing uh there's there is a thing called exercise that i would highly recommend to a lot of people who get mad just like mindfulness meditation just just some deep breathing i don't know um so i'm actually gonna wrap up now if that's cool with you so i have like one last question i want to ask at the end of the of every interview so that would be um what is one song that you think defines you right now? Because I'm making a really fun, funky Spotify playlist, you know? Um, Amy, a.k.a. Spent Gladiator 1 by the Mountain Goats. What a um, jam. Yeah, I, I've been listening to that song a lot. It's, I, I like it a lot. Of course, yeah. Um, so thank you so much for talking to me, Phoenix. Um, thank you. Yeah, all right. Thank you so much. Do you remember the Sunday afternoons in bed? The smell of lavender and lemon flowing around our heads. You got that look in your eye, you laugh at something I said. Why go out and play? Let's stay in bed. Hi, folks. Uh, Be here. I've never left. I'm a specter in your home right behind you. Hi. You can't see me because I'm a ghost. Anyway, want to give some quick credits? Real fast, real quick. 
So I want to give a shout out to Phoenix. I interviewed them this episode, as you know. Um, you should check out their podcast, Inkworm. That's I-N-K-W-Y-R-M. Really had to think about that in my brain, which is great. I'm very awake right now, as you can tell. Um, it's wherever you can find podcasts. It's a really great show. It's like a rom-com meets like The Devil Wears Prada, but it's all like in space and it's delightful. I also mentioned my own audio drama in this episode, so I should plug it here. Check out Violet Beach, wherever you listen to podcasts. I just put out a Q&A for its second season. Thank you so much for listening to that, if you do already. Um, also want to give a quick plug to this show's social media. Um, we're on Twitter at Teenage Girls Pod, um, Instagram at 4TeenageGirls, F-O-R Teenage Girls. And we also have a website, 4TeenageGirls.com. Um, if you want to be on the show, please submit there and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I'm also on Twitter, actually, uh, at Highland, and I'm on Kofi at Highland 2 um, I'm doing commissions through Kofi, so if you want something written by me, please hit me up. Okay, thank you so much. I love you. Bye.